Ben, you've come up with some language that came from your experience uh, while in the Air Force Reserves that I really liked and I thought would be really valuable to our listeners. So we're going to do like a lightning round um, that I think will leave our listeners with some general principles um, that I think have made had a real impact mm. in your career and sure. hopefully it will too. So we're going to kind of go into a lightning yeah. round here real sure. quick. So <clears throat> what do you mean when you say slow is smooth? Well, slow is smooth, smooth is fast, right? So if you take time to think about execution, you're going to be more methodical and pragmatic all the way through. I tell every mentee that I mentor today that um, a lot of times the thought of the execution is easy. It's harder to do because the logistics are those ankle biters that people always forget. And the majority of the time, it's always logistics that are causing problems from an operations perspective. People forget mm. about this or this, and there's all these dynamics that they don't account for. And so when you think about this from slow is smooth, smooth is fast, just taking an extra minute to think about how I'm going to make this measurement or what I need overall before I do this test setup or what am I going to use to build this system model? People will find when rubber needs to meet the road, they're going to have all the pieces at their disposal because they had a good plan. I think I'm going to tag a thought onto that really great idea is, yeah, those details matter. And John Wooden used to say, be quick, but don't hurry. Yeah. Right. And so it's about the fundamentals, like yeah. never, you know, you flew planes, right? You always do a check right we before. Do. And it's we like, oh, God, we've done we this a million around. times. We've gone through this checklist yep. and it can seem like, oh, just skip that and go on. No, you got to to stay on those fundamentals. And I wrote a blog once. Is it related to to board design that said, um, oh, what was the title? It was um, slow down to hurry up, right? Sometimes we're in such a rush that we're like, oh, I don't need to do that. And yeah. those are the ankle biters, but, right? But okay. It's, it's hard because engineers today feel all this pressure from programs. And what they do is they don't take a step back to talk with their team, right? Yeah. And I always like to tell the story where, okay, so when I was at flight school, what I, what I mentioned before is we fly in a T6, Okay, we're flying at 500 feet AGL above ground level. So 500 feet above the ground, we're flying at 240 knots. That's four miles a minute or one mile every 15 seconds. So 15 seconds, mile, 15 seconds, mile. And engineers will take the approach that I need to think that fast, right? Because that's how we're taught in the Air Force. We need to stay ahead of the airplane. But in real life, you don't. You can take a step back and think about something before you execute I had a guy that worked for me. He made a decision to stop a board spin, which really wasn't urgent, but he didn't talk to anybody. And what he could have done is he could have just pulled in a team member or myself or a project manager and bounced the idea instead of just pulling the trigger. And at the end of the day, he could have saved himself. And it's the same thing when you do engineering today, right? We're not moving at the speed of light, right? And most of the things we're, we're making solutions to problem. Yeah, we have scheduled pressures, but... It's, it's sometimes hard for engineers to filter out that pressure and understand how to separate and buckle down. And I think where engineers struggle is they 
they need to learn how to communicate the expectations with the folks that are their stakeholders. And that's what really makes a difference at the end of the day, right? If you're able to set those expectations, you're able to manage that sort of energy with your stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there's a, a guy that, in fact, I, I'm probably going to have him on, Eli Hughes. And he talks about being a full stack hardware engineer. And it's back to that situational awareness we were talking about in the beginning. And he says, you have to have awareness of your downstream and your upstream stakeholders, or you will not have the the slowest, smoothest movement. And he talks about what changed his career was walking down the hall to talk to someone. And when you're being driven so hard, it just seems like I don't have time for that. But anyways, well, you talked about that taking the time to talk to a team member. So that's the second thing I have on your lightning round here is what do you mean by having a crew dog mindset? Yeah, so I flew on a career airplane, right? And if you if you look at the Air Force, right, a lot of flyers will delineate um, fighter or heavies, right? And there are crewed and uncrewed airplanes in those two categories. So you have single seat fighters and then two seat fighters. Um, And so even though it's a two seat, it's still considered a crew airplane. And so in the heavies, almost all of them, actually all of them are crewed airplanes. What that means is typically you have like on the airframe that I flew on, we had two pilots, uh, one or two of me, uh, a whole crew in the back, plus load masters. And so we had a huge crew, which was great. When we broke somewhere, we had... Uh, drinking buddies and folks to go out to the bar or eat good food, wherever we were in the world. C-130 goes everywhere. That's the perfect C-130. And what you learn is that, and this is something the Air Force teaches you and the culture and the aviation community on these career airplanes, is it's about the mission first. And that means that, hey, just because I might be a captain or a major now, and I have a loadmaster who's enlisted, that doesn't mean rank matters. It matters about getting the job done. So if a loadmaster is busy doing something for a mission and he's prepping, I'll go out and get the lunches for the crew, the flight lunches. If if my job means that me to help this guy so he can focus on this task, I'm going to sweep floors. That's the crew dog mindset. In other words, there's nothing above me, right? There's nothing mm-hmm. too good for me to do. And so if I need to get down and grab a sergeant iron, I mean, every engineer should have a sergeant iron first off, but if it means I need a solder, <laughs> Yeah, that that means I will do it. Right. And so the whole idea is that it's about being a team. Right. And you remove rank. And that's where Mm -hmm. you have a more successful uh, overall team at the end of the day. We're taught that rank goes out the window in the airplane. And so I can tell you for a fact that I've flown with guys that are many, many, many grades rank wise above me. And during a debrief. Right. Because the door is shut in these debriefs. We will lay it on if they messed up, but that's how we get better, right? That's what we're taught. Right. Well, and um, you made me think about a conversation I was having with Steve McGarry at SamTech, and he was sort of indicating that the SamTech structure internally is very flat. And he said, but that flatness has allowed us to do so much more because we're permitted to work cross-functionally and walk down the hall and everyone has a sense that they're peers and because it's very flat organization. So um, 
So I think you touched on this a little bit in the first point. And so just let me know. Um, something else you said is thought is easy. Execution is hard. I feel like we touched on that. Did. Yeah. That's the whole idea. It's like people think about executing something, but at the end of the day, when rubber meets the road, if they don't have a good plan or they didn't think through their test plan, you know, they find most time they don't have the right probe or the pitch is off or they don't understand how they're going to fix this dot or they didn't think about this inductance here that's going to affect their signal or this capacitance loading. How are they going to de-embed that? All those sort of things. That's where the execution becomes hard. And those are the logistics that we were just talking about. I think it's really hard for me personally, too. I prefer to be on the strategy side so I can be weak on the logistics side. And right, you can use a team to to balance each other's strengths and weaknesses out. But um, I, I think you got to have both. You got to have some level of both. Um, okay. This was a really important thing that you and I talked about, about your experience in the military when you were under fire and keeping your head and you said, respond, don't react when under fire. Can you briefly tell us about how that changed you? So, <laughs> yeah, um, I think, and this is, I don't know how people are going to relate to this unless they have this experience, but this is one of the best things that the military taught me. When you're flying a $180 million airplane and you're responsible for decisions that you make to move the aircraft, right? Where I have authority from my seat, because most of the time when we're even downrange in combat, the airplane's on autopilot. And so I was usually um, downrange the guy that's on all the radios and had all the SA coming into my crew seat. We called it, uh, it was kind of like a helmet fire. A lot of guys, <laughs> a lot of guys would say the uh, CISO seat or WISO seat was kind of like getting into the matrix because we had all this equipment that was piping to all this data, to all these screens. And so, and we had all these radios. And so we're on Merck chat, which is like um, an IRC channel. And that's how we communicate and do a lot of communication with other folks and users. And then we have all these radios that come. So you're like in the matrix is what we used to joke. Well, <laughs> you learn really quick how to think on your feet and realize because you're trained and you're taught and the Air Force puts you in those positions to make those decisions. And you've been taught the risk execution sort of mindset, right? Okay, what's the risk if I do this? How do I execute? And what are my boundary conditions, right? So this is the rope that I have to hang myself. The Air Force won't let you go too far off the limb here, but these are your boundary conditions. And um, every branch or service organization does a different. Navy has a slightly different culture than the Air Force, Army, vice versa. Well, I think a, a good example that I can give was I remember one time I was in combat and we typically fly by killbox and keypad, which is like a movie map and we have a grid basically set up on a movie map. And so controllers will basically clear you from one kill box keypad to another kill box keypad. And those are usually kind of classified because it just it's a classified coordinate system. Well, the guy who set it up didn't set it up in the normal way a lot of the flyers were used to. And it's not like we had a hard standard, but here I am sitting in the seat staring at this the whole flight. So I'm getting the essay, trying to figure out where are we, because this 
this orientation of this label is off in each keypad. So it can mess with you because you're staring at a grid and your eyes go cross staring at it too long. <laughs> I had this older pilot and we get clear. So I moved the airplane. He's like, that's not the right vector. And I'm like, dude, it's the right vector. I've been staring at this thing whole night. It's the right vector. He, uh, he was kind of a firecracker. He was a, you know, he would kind of go from zero to 180 very quickly. So he yeah. blew up on me, like in the middle of the flight, the combat environment just blows up and goes to the back, <laughs> gets out of the seat, goes to the back. <laughs> and, uh, and it's fine, right? I mean, you learn, right? Emotional intelligence along the way. And he comes back and he's like, sorry, dude. <laughs> it's, you know, it is what it is, right? I mean, but that's the whole idea, right? I mean, there's a lot of jokes in the military. We talk about like a lot of the, hopefully nobody's Russian here, but the, a lot of the formal Soviet Union mindset was shoot first, look later, right? That was yeah. what the Soviet Union was taught. Here, we're taught to look first, then shoot. And so that's the whole idea of, right? You know, how do you react under fire? And I think, you know, you said, I don't know who can relate to this. Oh, tell me under deadlines with, you know, product going to market or whatever it is um, that this doesn't get heated up like this in the workplace. It does. It but does. What I learned from you in that thing is there's always time to take a breath. Like always. if you've, you've, if you've done the training, you know where you are. If somebody else pops off or yeah. you're getting pressure from behind to just take a hot minute and what you said to me or what I took away from what you said is something like, you know, once you're like in a war and there's things blowing up in the air and you learn <laughs> to keep your head calm, you know, while there's a crew, you know, and a very expensive airplane under your watch. Well, that kind of pressure like it makes the workplace. Yeah, right. Your perspective is completely perspective. different after that. Right. And so I think that's just a good takeaway to go, hey, you know, the military trains people. And personally, what I try to do in my own life, and you've done it a ton, is push yourself outside of the comfort zone. Right. We've all seen that chart where it's like a circle and there's an arrow and it's like growth happens out here yeah. outside of your comfort zone and when you push yourself back in your comfort zone and then you go back in it it feels so much easier right and so i think that's a good takeaway right that's what a lot of people fail are fast today. and get out there and learn and yeah. i think a lot of us were afraid to to fail out loud i, I have right? okay so he's gonna hate me i won't say his name but i had this nasa engineer work for me he retired from NASA after 32, 33 years. He was a great engineer. He was a Navy guy. So we had the most epic bantering between our two services and amazing engineer, absolutely phenomenal, right? I mean, he taught me things. We worked so well together. We were thick as these. This is when we were doing our robotics uh, at the last company I was at. And so we had just ordered this new drive amp or motor controller for our robotic platform. And it was a super long lead. It was super expensive, but we needed it so we could pass our EMC testing that I told you or mentioned earlier we had some problems with. And uh, I give him one of them and I said, hey, man, can you go put this in and start doing some testing to make sure it works? He comes back like 10 minutes later. He's like, hey, can I get another one? I said, what'd you do? Blow it up. <laughs> <laughs> 
He's like, I don't want to talk about it. But the point of the story <laughs> is even a NASA engineer, right? He's phenomenal. He's launched rockets in space. He had launched multiple rockets in space, right? He set these payloads up where he's designing fixtures just to determine when things are going to break from drop testing. Where he's, I mean, literally, he has a Cessna and a crane, and he's dropping them to figure out the load oh, characteristics. Oh, fully instrumented. Oh my gosh! Up. He'd be a fun guy, by the way, to bring the podcast. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, but the point is, is that he he failed, and we're always learning. We're always learning, and always. sometimes we still make mistakes. But the whole idea is, you just move on. You fall, you move stumble, you get on. back up, and keep going. I, a lot the of fear of failure can keep you from a lot. Yeah, and the false belief that you're not going to fail. Is no. Wrong. Well, a lot of engineers it's wrong. Have, We're all going to fail. Yeah, they're they're really ego sensitive, right? And so yeah. I find if you can find a way to have a humble and humility, right? A lot of the really gray heads, right? We're talking, and I, I hope these guys don't get offended, but the Burks, the Eric's, the Steves, the Heidi's, right? All these guys, the Isfans. Yeah. They're the most humble guys. What are you trying to say? They're all my peers. What are you trying to say, Ben? Uh, I, you see my point, right? Like, they're super I resemble humble. that remark. Right. Dang you. They're super humble. Right? I just use hair color. <laughs> Never would have guessed. So they're <laughs> the most humble guys, but they've all done these mistakes, right? They've all mm -hmm. done it. They have it's, the stories. Yeah. And so yeah. that's the point, right? We have to remember that to get where they got, where they are, right. we have yeah. to fail. Yeah. Steve was talking on the podcast about trying to characterize something and he went to NASA and he was he wanted to model something. He's like, yeah, you got a You got an exacto knife, NASA. I want to cut up your board. <laughs> Just like classic. And someone That's else how I talked to. Well, That's how Steve right? Nism. Exactly. Yes. And I'm like, anyways, it's just it's great to hear those stories because you realize um, somebody was talking. I think it was. Maybe it was Eli Hughes. Someone was talking about the prevalence of because there has to be so much kind of in situ learning mm -hmm. that a lot of engineers have this imposter syndrome feeling like I don't want to ask because then they'll know I don't know. But what's true is like everybody else in the room doesn't know either. So I just think that's a human condition. Anyway, people are afraid to ask questions. I always tell people, and even my wife, it took a long time to adopt this mindset is the answer is always no unless you ask. Right. So, and I think that is the last not so lightning round thing that we just did, but I think these are really good points is that was what you, I was going to say the importance of mentors. Don't, so we sort of talked about that earlier, yeah. find mentors. So yeah. what would you say about that, about finding mentors? Uh, I mean, if you don't have a mentor, what are you doing? Go out and find one. These these folks, right? The Heidi's, the Steve's, the Bird's, the Lee's, the Eric's. I mean, Eric, I don't know how he does it. I don't even know how Steve does it. Yeah. I mean, Steve, I, I think, doesn't sleep either because he's always doing something. Uh, they're happy to mentor. You just have to ask. If they actually want to before they, I don't think any of them ever want to retire. They could just work at the pace. Yeah. Like when um, Eric left Teledyne LaCroix, he goes, now I get to pick which 10 hours of the day that I work or whatever right. it was. He works way more than 10 hours a day. I right. don't believe it. But um, yeah, so 
their goal is kind of to give it away at this point. Yeah, so it is. just don't don't I mean, be afraid Steve, to ask. Steve will tell you, right? I mean, he appreciates folks that have tenacity and they put in the hard work, and he's going to match that energy. He does, right? He he wants to work with folks, especially folks that you know will go and look for the answer first before they go to these guys and they're and you yeah. have more respect and respond even more positively if you've shown them yes. hey i've done all of this and this is where i am so you're like wow okay you did your homework um well here did you think about this and that's how all these guys are right they want right. to help you all you have to show them is that you have a little perseverance and that you yeah. you are trying right mm-hmm i think I appreciate, and I know you do. You always say, because I didn't have a high-end formal education, everything I onboarded, I just say, I'm the best scrapper ever. Like, you know, it. so just scrap, man. Yeah. Like, scrap. And if you're a scrapper, all those guys will talk to you. So I think that's the kind of initiative how that's I right. would. And um, that's how I got to know them. Yeah. And just like, hey, and I'm not an engineer, but, I, you know, I was just laughing with someone about the dumb questions I used to ask them. And we just have a laugh over it. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Um, okay. Last point. I'm going to have to break this podcast into pieces because it's <laughs> so good. Thank you so much, Ben. I have loved this. And I know our Me listeners too. will, yeah, too. This is fun. Um, before I let you go. I'm going to do something that I used to do on the podcast in the past, which is called designer after hours, because I 100% know that our audience is going to want to hear about what you do after hours. And I know you and your wife love movies. And so back to my point about Maverick, you were talking about your experience then, and I saw Maverick and I was like floating out of the seat. I flip and love that movie and I have an interest in aviation. I used to date a Navy pilot. Like I was into it. And, you know, I am one of those gray hairs. So, you know, I was out when the first Top Gun came out. And so I love this movie and I'd asked you if you saw it and you're like, no, I'm waiting. Okay. Tell our audience <laughs> about what you've done in your after hours and in your love and passion for so movies. I, I don't go to the theater anymore. Um, I built myself my own home theater. And so, you know, I always, every nerd. Engineer, he engineered his home theater. Yeah. That's I mean, I have a full, I mean, so it's a full Dolby Atmos Dolby Vision setup. There's 13 speakers <laughs> in my surround sound system. So I have full Dolby Atmos. So technically it's a 7.2.4 setup, which means seven surround, two subwoofers and four ceiling or Atmos channels. And so I have the full three-dimensional sound. I, it took me a while to find some content, but now it's everywhere. Uh, you can Netflix, Amazon, HBO, Disney, they're all streaming Atmos. And Vision just means it's, it's, the, it's the video content that you're getting. So if Atmos is there, it, the TV decodes it and sends it to the receiver. But I have a stack of amps, right, just powering all this equipment. And uh, it's great. Does I your house it. rattle? Yeah, so like this, your this funny, roof right? tiles shake. <laughs> yeah, so when I first put it in, um, you know, I love movies, right? That's like my thing. I, I love watching movies, and so I put it in, and it's kind of like an open area and upstairs in my home, and 
you know, sound just bounces off the walls and it'll keep bouncing and bouncing. Well, it bounces and there's a long hallway down from the end of the room. It's open and then it shoots down the staircase into the kitchen, which is right below the, the media room is what we call it. I remember one day I was watching a movie. My wife comes up, she's super angry and she's like, you're buying sound panels right now. <laughs> so I put up 11 sound panels ranging from like one inch thick to two inch thick. And I remember I put on like this Avengers scene. I forget whether it was Infinity Wars or Endgame. And I put it on. I went and stood in the kitchen and listened to the audio level at normal volume. And then I went in and hung all the sound panels. And then I put on the same scene. And I went back downstairs and stood there. And I was like, that's weird. Sounds the exact same audio volume. I don't understand what's going on with the sound panels and i go upstairs and my wife is sitting there like fully engaged immersed in this scene and then i see she's turned up the the audio 20 db 20 db i was like what are you doing i was doing an experiment she's like oh, i love this scene <laughs> so yeah the sound panels work and i knew i really made it when she was walking the dog three houses down thank goodness we have a detached home and she said I heard your bass three houses down. So I did like a, a fist bump to myself. Like, yes, like I made it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. Um, I think that's a great place to wrap. So I was joking with you when we were preparing. I said, well, one of these days I'm going to get on the plane. I'm going to fly to Steve Sandler's house. Have him make me a pizza and then I'm going to fly to your house out east and we're going to have like, we're going to binge watch. Well, do it. You would Marvel movies, have a beer, talk about. I love it. Planes and engineering and I get to meet your patient wife. So <laughs> She's a saint. She, she really is. Uh, I don't, I, I wonder sometimes how she's so patient with me. She's my rock. Uh, and when you do come out, what we didn't talk about is I smoke. I have a big smoker. So I do a lot of meat <gasps> smoking. I mean, over the 4th of July, I'm I did a 15-hour really pork butt smoke, and it was amazing. Yeah, I smoke a lot. Oh, my gosh. We so need to so do you, this. I'm so you telling you. you go to you. Steve, get the pizza, and come over here, and you get the meat sweats. There we great. go. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll put together a couple of pies at Steve's. There you go. We'll hop on a plane together. <laughs> we'll go, you know, we'll take Susan, his wife, come over. We'll have a weekend of engineering Geek Fest with good food. Love it. Sounds like a blast. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. And, you know, thank you so much for, for everything you shared. I'm positive that our that our listeners have learned so much for you. And again, I'm going to pack the show notes with everything we've talked about. And um, thank you so much, Ben. And congratulations to all your accomplishment. I know the military has put like a million dollars in, over a million dollars uh, of training you you know, plus everything you've done with Northrop Grumman and your own training. And I'm sure you've been an inspiration to everyone who's listening. So thanks so much. We need to do this again. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Judy. Really had fun. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah, me too. Okay. To our listeners, thanks so much for joining us today with this conversation with Ben Dannon of Northrop Grumman. Um, please check out the show notes. Please go uh, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app or subscribe to YouTube. And for sure, go sign up at the double ecosystem.com so I can build that community and put you in, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations with people 
like Ben. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining this week. Until then, remember to always stay connected to the ecosystem.